1986, a Connecticut wife and mother arrives home from her recent job as a flight attendant, only to quickly disappear from her home without a trace. The mystery would soon be solved when a witness noticed her husband using a wood chipper on the side of a road, blowing into a lake. What was found in this lake made it a mystery no more. I'm Dave Jari. I'm Garrett Quarter. And this is Criminal as What's good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminal AF. Once again, I am Dave Jari, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Garrett Corder. How we doing? So a quick reminder that you can become one of the debauched by joining our Patreon, where you can support the podcast for as little as $2 a month, or if you choose the $5 tier or above, you'll get all of our content, including scripts of every story, five-minute murder, our Patreon-only bi-weekly podcast, Random AF, and our soon-to-be-released Patreon-only Dreadful AF, our collab with our friends over at Spread the Dread Podcast. Or if you want to become a barista through Buy Me a Coffee, where you can buy us one or more coffees with a one-time donation to help support the podcast, visit criminalafpodcast.com backslash support or click on the link in the episode description. Now, I just want to say real quick, our last episode, like, that was... Yeah, that was rough. That was rough. Yeah. That was very emotionally draining. Yeah, yeah, and yeah for sure. It's so funny, too, because we started that day. We were all excited. We're like, yeah. ah, let's, let's, let's goof around. We had a couple beers. We were yeah. hanging out. And then all of a sudden, we we're like sitting way halfway through like, this fucking sucks. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, the episode before, Love on the Rocks, I mean, that was a, a fun yeah. episode. That it's was amazing a fun episode how to do. the story content can change the right. whole demeanor right. and we're in like, this room. And we're like, all right, we're going to get this done. We're going to have a couple of beers. We're going to have fun. We're going to get this, get through this. And like midway through, I, I was drained. <laughs> like, I'm like, this, this is awful, you know? But we got through it. Also, too, a lot of the fans reached out and, you know, told us like how much, like, wow, like, this was powerful. This, one, this, this episode yeah. was, you know, heart wrenching. So it definitely yeah. affected, I think, everybody. Our Instagram the, the blew up. Yeah. Uh, if you never heard, blew... if you never heard that story, you definitely, it'll definitely sink in and stick with you for now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I just want to say, like, you know, with with our last four episodes, hopefully five with uh, "Love You to Death," each one is getting more and more and more downloads. So, and we love you for yes. it. Yes. So I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who's out, who's listening. Uh, we appreciate it so much, and it, it, it's it's awesome to see you know what we are doing is reaching so many people. For sure, you're giving us that spark. Right. It's it's actually to hum- keep going. It's humbling to know. So, with that being said, for those of you joining us for the first time, this is a true crime podcast. Though we talk of murder, rape, torture, assault, and pretty much any crime that would haunt your nightmares at any given moment. There will be detailed descriptions of said events, and there will be some vulgar language. Like fuck, like fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> we understand that criminal AF is not for everyone, but we just ask that you at least give it a listen. If it's not for you, hey. Thanks for checking it out. See ya. But if it is, welcome, welcome to, to the, the debauchery. debauchery. Mail call. Mail call. Mail call. Sue. All right. So every week we send out a Ask Us Anything on Instagram for a chance to be answered on an episode. The questions have been piling in, and we have one for this week from Lucy Vicky 13 our friend out in Australia, out in Yass. Yeah. And she wants... I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and she wants to know, who would you rather be cellmates with? The Toolbox Killers or BTK? Oh. That's your boy. That's your boy, Rera, with his wife, Rolla Prada. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback. Rolla Prater. Rolla Prater. <laughs> Table for one, please. <laughs> that sucks. Those are two shitty people. Come on. She did that on purpose. She definitely listens to podcasts. I, yeah. like, I like that, though, because it means she listens. Yep. She knows. She knows we hate them. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know my answer. I'm going to go with the Toolbox Killers. They probably got better stories anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I could say that. I was, I would actually say the two box killers as well because we already know what BTK did. Yeah, you know? I don't want to. I don't even want to be in the same cell as him. Right. I mean, it would be easy to fucking 
murder him. Yeah, but then, you know, I'm not going to add time for that piece of shit. Let yeah. him rot in jail for the rest. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm going to say toolbox killers as well because they have, well, not anymore because they're dead, but they did have a lot of secrets. Yeah. Like there was a, a lot more. For sure. That they didn't talk about. Plus, and they seen, you know, they were hippies living out of a van right. and like. In in California, during, they probably got some really cool stories. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. I'm not I'm not justifying what they did, but yeah, you know what I mean. Well, I mean, if you if you remember at the end of the episode that uh, there was like I can't remember off the top of, top of my head, so don't quote me, but there was like 60 photos out of hundreds, if not thousands, of photos that they could not identify. Yeah. So would you be in there like, hey? I'm like, yeah. What's yeah. Up? What's up? Let me get like two more victims. Yeah. I, I, I would. Lose. I would. Uh, I would probably like make up some shit that I did. I'd be like, bro, yeah, you, you know, spark that this PTSD. Is what I, yeah. yeah, start spark that PTSD. Yeah, you know? I took the screw, I took the screwdriver and just stuck it right in her earlobe. Oh, you know, he'd be like, yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, really? 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 Wow, <laughs> <laughs> his fucking dick gets hard. Yeah, <laughs> well, you got to think too. If you're in jail, you're a criminal too. You have to like, you're not. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you're not all there well, in the head too. Especially if you're hanging out within in yeah. maximum security present prison with them. So you probably don't have all the screws loose too. Well, I, I got picked up for uh, not paying parking tickets. So. Yeah, okay, because you're going to be thrown in a jail cell <laughs> with the toolbox killers because of... <laughs> you're going to be in... You would be in fucking Gen, gen Pop selling ramen noodles and <laughs> fucking shower shoes, dude. <laughs> now, what would happen, though, if you're, you're lying and you're telling these stories? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're getting them all excited. And they found out that you lied? No, no. And then they go and get, like, a health and wellness check, and then they attack the nurse because you got them all jacked up. Now you, now you got another... You got a body on your hand. Well, did I did I find out information first or? Yeah, you found it. I mean, all I mean, that, yeah, that's... Yeah. he just went. He just spilled the beans. Well, right. you thought it was only these girls. Yeah. Let me Here's tell the you, other, boy. Here's the other sixty. And it, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's that's just collateral. It's collateral. Hey, nurses in prison make. A I lot just of money. I, I, I say I solved sixty murders. Yeah, you know, yeah. What I mean, you gave a lot of families clothing. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for your service, nurse, <laughs> nurse Betty. All right. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that note. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm going to hell for that one. Uh, so thank you, Lucy, for the question. Uh, yes, two box killers, 100%. Yep. BTK can From go both. fuck him. Signed, sealed, delivered. Yeah, he can go fuck himself, BTK. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Florida. Yeah. All right, Dave. This one's a little different. Okay. All right. It's like, you know, it's switching it up. And I, I, I like this because it's triple entendre. Triple entendre. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I got yes, you. Yes. I got you. So. I don't know what entendre is, but I'll, uh, I'm you'll with get you. It. You'll I'm get with it. you. All right. Florida Sponge docks coffee shop. We spy coffee and more. Employee arrested over spying in men's bathroom. <laughs> There's two right there. Okay, right? Yep. There's spy, one, sorry. Spying in a spy coffee shop. We spy coffee we and spy more. Coffee, yeah. That's the name of the coffee shop. Yeah. Oh, and more. Yep. Okay. And then the second part is... The employee was, was spying, spying on men, men in the bathroom. In the bathroom. Okay. Karen Springs, Florida. Spy, spy. Yep. <laughs> spy, spy. An employee of We Spy Coffee and More located on the gorgeous Tamper... Well, they're not hiding anything. They say and more, so... Yeah. Yep. Located on the gorgeous Tarpon Spring Sponge Docks, mm-hmm. has been arrested after a camera was found in the men's bathroom. On Saturday, officers from Tarpon Springs Police Department arrested, here's the third, okay. Spiridon Volgarkis. Spirit, okay. Spiridon. Yep, I got it now. <laughs> spy. I'm, I'm following. So, yep, three spies. Spiridon Volgarkis. So, spy, coffee, and more. 31 on charges of battery and video voyeurism. 30. He was 31. Oh, he was 31. Okay. <coughs> I got you. The victim was a customer of We Spy Coffee and More, located on 505 Dolcanis Boulevard. While using the male restroom at the business, the victim discovered he was being video recorded by a camera placed under the sink. The victim confronted Volgakers. Under a sink? Where was it pointing? Probably the, the, the stalls. Probably stalls. The stalls. Or the, uh, the urinal the or the urinals, toilet? The urinals, probably. I don't know. It depends on the layout. I've been in a lot of different... Ba- you know what I mean? Yeah. Think about all the different bathroom... Because yeah. if you could... If there was... The, if the stall... Think about it, right? Mm-hmm. If the, the urinals were next to the sink mm. and you put it there sideways... You know what I'm saying? And your shiz, and your shit's hanging out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can yeah. see, like, you can see down the line. You can get right. a whole lineup. Yeah. You know what I mean? I got you. Glorious cock. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's such a glorious cock. 
Spyridon. 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 That's such a weird name. The spy. Volgarkus. Spyridon, the spy who works at the spy coffee shop. <laughs> spying on. There it is. Spying, There's the triple entendre. Spying on fellow spies going yeah. to the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> Admitted to the investigators that he placed the camera. He placed the camera there and recorded the victims and other males using the restrooms. Mm. And then my favorite. The yes. ending of this article. Oh, here we if go. you've been to We Spy Coffee and more since February 13th, 2023, oh, use yeah. the mail restroom yeah. and feel you may have been a victim. Please contact <laughs> Detective Jay Melton at 727-938-2849. All victims' identities will be kept confidential in avoidance with Marcelli Law. Unless there's a spy. Unless there's a spy who leaks, leaks the information about right. Spiden who spied on the spies, on the spies who were drinking, who were drinking coffee, coffee at we in the spy, spy coffee. coffee shop. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Only in Florida, folks. Only in Florida. <laughs> that is and that is hilarious. a true. We're not making that up at all. Go look yeah. it up. Go do your research, guys. That is as, a, as always. That is a true story. As always, the photo will be. Is there a photo? Nope, I don't have it here, but there probably will be. All right. If I if I deep dive. Yeah, we'll find one and put it on IG. Jesus, criminy. Oh, got it. Oh, you got Two it? Two seconds, yeah. Okay. Yep, we're good. We got a photo, too. Oh, let me look. It looks like a normal dude. Oh, he looks kind of spyish. Yeah, I, that that name is not what I... He has like a spy-ish name. Volgarkis. Yeah. He's definitely he Europe. Must be Greek. Yeah, I was going to say European somewhere. Yeah. You know what they say about the Greeks? A lot of male orgies. Uh, I, I, I have no idea. They, a lot of male orgies. They're like back in the day. They like canola oil. I, I don't know. They bathe in it, dude. Yeah. That's what their skin looks. <laughs> oh shit! Oh no, that's Italian. <laughs> Wait, that's Italian. No, you no, just no. got some opera in you yeah. right now. <laughs> oh, Maria. <laughs> Stop! That's my favorite song. Now I'm picturing you bathing yourself in olive oil while singing you're singing Ave Maria. <laughs> Didn't you, didn't you say you cried during that Throwback. on this podcast? Throwback. Oh, yes. God. Everybody that's listening to this shit, make fun of him, please. Why? Sometimes, I, sometimes, when I listen to Ave Maria, I cry. That's going to be my funeral song. And you know what? Everybody's going to cry. I promise you. You're not going to cry at my I'm funeral? I'm not going to cry at your funeral. I'm going to make it the best. You're heartless. I'm not gonna. Make, I'm not gonna cry at your funeral. Why would you want somebody? Why would you want to make it sad? All you motherfuckers better be crying. I told you what. Ha, what like. A funeral is supposed to be a celebration of life. That's mm -hmm. why I like super religious funerals scare the shit out of me because like yeah. it's always so sad. Like I get you're supposed to like mourn and all that stuff, but why right. is everybody wearing black? Why is it the, a two-hour ceremony where there's a wizard talking about <laughs> talking about <laughs> life and death and like all this stuff in this mellow tone wizard. thing, dude? I want a DJ booth foam yeah. a foam party. I want jet skis on the lake. Yeah. All right, and I want to be propped up on the top of a wakeboard boat. Well, you no, no, are, that's that's all great. I'm you not, know what I mean? I'm not there's my, no dark colors allowed at my funeral. Yeah. Everybody's wearing Hawaiian shirts. My funeral is not going to be like the whole everybody sit down and listen to somebody talk about fucking God's wrath, ashes to ashes, yeah, fucking yeah, shit. Yeah. No, but at some point during the fucking funeral or whatever it is, you motherfuckers better at least cry for at least a minute. <laughs> You're so petty. No. You're so petty. I will You're come gonna... back to fucking life to make sure all you guys are fucking crying. I hope you come and haunt me. I will. I'd, I'd set up a nice room up in the attic for you, dude. I'd be like, Gary, you <laughs> I would know it's cry. you, too. I know. I'd feel safe. I'd yeah. feel safe. You didn't cry. I'm going to spy while you take a piss. <laughs> You got, got nothing to, you know, it's not impressive. You might, you're better off going to We Spy Coffee. You catch, some, you catch something nicer over there. You're a grower, not a shower? I'm definitely a grower. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I'm with you. All right, this is going way, <laughs> way, way, way off. Criminal AF will be back after this quick break. All right, so this episode from our home state here in Connecticut. Good old-fashioned CT. And I will do a... I'm going to do a little uh, spoiler alert. This episode not only was a scene in the movie Fargo, but it was also episode one of season one of Forensic Files. Correct. This kicked off the whole Forensic Files. Shout out to CT. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, so we'll get right into it with chapter one.
Oh, Connecticut, how sleepy of a place you are. Connecticut exudes perceptions of a preppy, white-collar state with expensive boats and yachts littering its seashore, where the only problem is matching your spurries to your sailing jacket. Yet, just like any other state, or any other place in this world for that matter, there are the secrets and hidden lives that people may lead. Don't forget, Connecticut is the home to such murderous names as Michael Ross, Emmanuel Webb, William Howell, Stephen Hayes, and Joshua Karasarjewski. The case we will discuss today, which we will call Body Chipper, comes from our home state of Connecticut. This case inspired the movie Fargo in one of the most notorious and memorable scenes from any thriller made in the last 30 years. To set the scene, the main character hired a hitman to kidnap and murder his wife so he could collect the ransom money. To dispose of her body, the hitman used a wood chipper to shred her up into millions of pieces in a pile of mush. Fargo takes place in Minnesota during the winter. Snow covered the ground. The pure white snow is painted red with the woman's diced up body. The main investigator just happens onto the scene as it's taken place. She was shocked and in disbelief, but she ended up getting the bad guy. It was horrifying, yet you couldn't take your eyes away from it. The actual events of this murder that happened in not-so-sleepy Connecticut are a bit different, but still interesting enough that Forensic Files made this case its first episode ever. Season 1, Episode 1 The Story of Hella Crafts and Her Husband Richard Crafts Richard killed his wife and disposed of her body by running it through a wood chipper. He wasn't caught red-handed like his movie counterpart, but the story is still just as gruesome. This case truly deserved the honor of being the very first episode of Forensic Files, as the evidence that was found had to literally be examined under a microscope. There was no body in the practical sense of a murder, but fragments of a body, such as three ounces of human tissue, the crown of a single broken tooth, a fragment of a fingernail covered in pink nail polish, and 2,660 bleached blonde human hairs. They also found a chainsaw in Lake Zor, covered in hair and blood which matched Hella's DNA. Don't underestimate sleepy states, or sleepy towns, or even sleepy people. You never know what secrets may be held. You may never know anyone fully. This story revolves around a woman named Hella Crafts. She was born Hella Lorke Nielsen on July 7, 1947, in Charlottenlund, Denmark. She was the only child and was described as vibrant, outgoing, who enjoyed school. She had a happy disposition and made friends easily. Hella attended college in England and worked as an au pair in France. While she was living there, she got a job working as a stewardess for Capital Airways. She loved the job so much that when she saw that there was an opening for a stewardess position for Pan Am in Copenhagen, she went for it. Hella, with her bright personality and professional demeanor, stood out to the people at Pan Am. She was one of eight candidates selected out of a group of 200, and she was sent to Miami to train. It was easy for her to finish the course because of her prior experience. And while in Miami, Hella stayed at a motel near the airport that other airline employees would often stay. She was under the same roof with male and female co-workers and often had romantic liaisons with male pilots. The environment was like a college dorm. Parties and socializing with others in the airline business. Everyone knew everyone. This motel is where she met her future husband and pilot, Richard Crafts, on May 24, 1969, while Hella was waiting for a flight.
Richard Crafts was born in New York City on December 20th, 1937. He had two older sisters. His father, John Crafts, was a very successful businessman in Manhattan. John, like any other businessman in New York, wanted to live in the suburbs and move the family to Darien, Connecticut. Darien is a very affluent town, one of the richest towns in the state. John Kraft was a former World War I pilot, and Richard wanted to live up to his father's standards. He attended private school, but wasn't successful. He did attend college for a few years, but dropped out to join the Marines. He became a helicopter pilot while in the Marines in the 1950s. He served in Korea and Japan, and while there, flew a few planes for Air America, which was a recognized branch of the CIA. He did have a few missions with Air America, and was even wounded while flying a mission over Laos. He did play up his involvement with the CIA, but nothing can be confirmed nor denied because of how secretive the CIA is. He eventually made his way back to America in 1966. When Hella and Richard met in 1969, Richard was already engaged to another woman. Hella didn't mind that, though. They continued their relationship, even though Richard kept on seeing other women. Hella didn't mind that she was the other woman, but was upset when Richard continued his cheating ways while with her. This caused many fights, even some in public. Hella's friends did not like Richard for this reason, and were always suspicious of him. To top it off, he was very quick to anger. Hella and Richard married in New Hampshire in November of 1975, after Hella became pregnant. They moved to Newtown, Connecticut in 1976. There, they had three children in total over the next few years. She returned to her job as a stewardess and hired 19-year-old Dawn Marie Thomas as an au pair, so going back to work wouldn't be an issue. Between the two of them, Richard and Hella made over $125,000 a year, so they were doing very well. Richard spent a lot of his income on his hobby of collecting guns. He had all sorts in his collection, including shotguns, handguns, high-powered rifles, semi-automatic weapons, crossbows, hand grenades, and thousands of rounds of ammunition. Hella wasn't too happy about him having so many guns and how he would often disappear for days going to gun shows. He also spent a lot of money on landscaping equipment. He spent it on tractors, mowers, and a very expensive backhoe, but they were never used. They just sat in the front yard collecting rust. The neighbors would complain about the eyesore of this collection of broken machinery. Now, in a town like Newtown, neighbors don't like eyesores. Despite his full-time commitment at Eastern Airlines and all of the work he was doing on the house, he became an auxiliary police officer in Newtown. He was not paid for this position, but it was something he took pride in. He would hang out at the police station, even while off-duty, and respond to calls without authorization. He later became a police officer for Southbury, Connecticut. He paid his own way for training, and even bought an old Crown Victoria, and installed radios, antennas, police lights, and a siren with his own money. He would also take small security jobs. People were confused why this successful airline pilot would want or need to work at such low-paying jobs. During all of this time, Richard was still seeing women on the side. Hella tolerated it for the children, but became fed up with it in 1986. She retained a divorce attorney and hired a private investigator named Keith Mayo to gather information on Richard for the divorce. On November 18, 1986, Hella's friends dropped her off at her home in Newtown after she had a long flight from Frankfurt, West Germany. And she was never seen again. So I know we shit on Florida every episode, <laughs> you know, because, you know, there's, it's just Florida. But can any other state in the United States say that they were the very first episode of Forensic Files? 
Fucking represent Connecticut, man. Yeah. That, no, no, for, yeah. for sure. On top of that, too, is like, I mean, we probably have the worst school shooting in, in American history. From the same town. From the same town. The same what town. the fuck's going on in that drinking water out in Newtown? I, 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 I don't fucking know. know. I don't know. It's looking crazy. So, yeah, uh, yeah, um, for sure. You know what I mean? We yeah. are, like, I love how, you know, sleepy town, sleepy yeah. people, you can't That's count it. them out. Gotta watch out for them. And I love how R- Richard moves to Newtown. Mm-hmm. And if any, uh, to all our listeners, uh, you know, we're from CT, so we know Newtown is like nose up. Yeah, but the snootiest people in the world. That's that's the Connecticut. We're, we're, we're on it. We're on the eastern part of Connecticut. Yeah, we're yeah, like yeah. towards the Rhode Island border. You know, we're considered like the rednecks of Connecticut. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So when you when you go to like more central east uh, western Connecticut, forty five minutes yeah. out from New York City. That's yeah. how we determine the snootiness. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. If you can drive to New York City within forty five minutes, that's the Connecticut that everybody thinks of when you think Connecticut. Right. There's a, a majority of that state is not that nice, but the it, the fact that he Richard moves to Newtown <laughs> yeah. and becomes the hick is becomes hilarious. Hick, yeah, let me buy this tractor. I'm gonna buy 17 AR-15s, yeah. and then I'm gonna buy this tractor, and I'm gonna throw it in the front yard <laughs> and not use it, and then the grass is gonna grow over the tire. <laughs> uh, no, that's funny beautiful. because you know damn well beautiful. those neighbors are pissed. Oh yeah, pissed. Oh, they're bringing down the property value. Yep. Whoa. God damn, this is Newtown, not Putnam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This ain't no Danielson. Yeah, what the <laughs> hell? Brother, we can take the train to New York City. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the quiet corner. Yeah. So here's a question. Like, I, you know, we've seen movies, we've seen whatever. Let me tell you, these flight attendants and these pilots, whoa, they can get down. Dude, yeah, there's there's a whole, like, There's, like, a whole culture. swapping. Shout out to TikTok, too, because yeah. there's a, I fought, I, I, Got fa- I found a flight student. Uh, flight flight, flight student. <laughs> I found a flight attendant's TikTok page, and she would go into like the details of how mm. like everybody sleeps around. The they dirt. all just get hotel rooms together and all that stuff. Yeah. If you're a single pilot, man, you do pretty well. Or, all you're or a married one, apparently. I, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But and and you know the best part is th- these two people were in the heyday of flying. Hella and Richard, I mean, 1940, late 40s, early 50s, yeah. Pan Am. That yeah. was like the golden age of right. flying. That was when you had to be like, that was like a the, size zero. They would measure you before your flights to yeah. get on to like, you know what I mean? Flying yeah. used to be crazy classy. Well, apparently, apparently to the story, it's, it was the heyday of flying and fucking. Yeah. So, I mean, hey. Yep. And she's from Denmark. Yeah, probably six foot feet blonde Ooh, yeah, eye, probably a Pan Am. Well, dime, I, I dude. did, I did pull, I did pull up a picture of her. We'll, uh, you know, obviously we'll, we'll we'll post those pictures. But she, she was, she was good looker. Yeah, she had it going. And the whole CIA twist too. You know, we over here at Criminal AF, we love a good CIA twist. A little too. CIA twist, yeah, a little conspiracy. Yeah, because you never know what was going on here. Yeah, and not only that, but combined they were making one hundred and seventy, hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year and this is back in 1975 76, 76 75 yeah that's a lot of money back that's got to be like 500k now <coughs> yeah with inflation i would say yeah probably i think high fours high fours i'm actually doing the math trying to do the math in my head yeah i think it's high fours high four hundred thousand dollars a year they're doing pretty well. Yeah. And this guy's got a tractor in his front yard. Come on, dude. You got to do better. <laughs> he's, he, he's just like, he just. I'm, I'm going to buy this tractor. Why? Yeah. I don't need a fucking tractor. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to put it in the front yard. Yep. Fuck the neighbors. Fuck them. Fuck you, hoity toities. <laughs> and to top it all off, the best thing about this chapter mm. is that Homeboy went became an auxiliary police officer. Oh, yeah. Bought his own Crown Vic, his <laughs> own CB radio. <laughs> he I, set there, himself there up for is, success. Listen, Dave, there's nobody worse than I hate, that I hate in this world. Gonna pretend. Then when you drive by a car, yeah. like a, a... Oh, and they got the little spotlight thing outside yeah, their window? They, they buy an old <laughs> police cruiser, yeah. and then they throw CB radios around and drive around and just pretend to be... I hate yeah. it. I hate it. But he did become an actual police officer. So, he did. He did. So we will. We'll give him. I'll give. I'll give him a pass. He achieved his dream. <laughs> his dream. His dream of becoming. He a, fought in the war. Flew. Yeah. Flew jets. Fle- and was then part of CIA. Yeah, you know, part of the CIA, and then became a police officer. Yeah, bought his South own Barry, lights. Southbury, Connecticut. Yes, bought his own lights for his car. He's like, you guys don't even have to pay me. Yeah. Uh, I'll take care of it. I'm doing this for fun. Yeah. The only thing that st- stood out for me in this chapter is that Hella knew that. Richard was already seeing somebody when they met. And Helen was like, you know what? Whatever. 
the 60s and 70s. Yeah, we're fine. We're it's fine. fine. It's fine. You know, then they ended up getting together. And then, lo and behold, Richard continues to fuck other women. Like you didn't see that coming. Right. I mean, you at one point, you were the other woman. Yeah. Then he became the woman. And now he's fucking other women. So... I think if you've ever been the other woman, you should automatically always assume that you will. There, there will be another woman. There will be other women. Yeah. 100%. If you start off a relationship and you are the other person or the one that's, oh, we just got separated and now, you're, mm, mm. guess what? He wanted to have a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You will soon be finding yourself on the other side of the divorce table. All right, so we're going to jump into the next chapter, and this is where things start getting a little fishy when uh, Hela gets back from, from one of her flights. On November 19th, the au pair, Dawn, was woken up at 6 a.m. by Richard. He told Dawn that Hella was driving to his sister's house, and they would all meet her there later. Dawn thought this was strange because there had been a horrible snowstorm that night, and visibility was awful. But Richard persisted because there was a power outage. They all drove over to Richard's sister's house. He dropped them off, and he left almost immediately. Hella was not there, and Richard did not come back to pick them up until 7 p.m. that night. Richard's stories on where Hella was were inconsistent. One reply was, I don't know. Another was that she was in Denmark with her sick mother. He even told one of his friends that Hella was in the Canary Islands with her best friend, Helen Dixon. There was no one consistent story. There were also pieces of carpet cut out and missing from Richard and Hella's bedroom. Richard said that he had spilled kerosene on the rug and it needed to be replaced. Newtown police gave Richard a lie detector test because of their suspicions. He passed the test, but some detectives didn't believe the results and thought it was odd that a professional airline pilot liked to play cop and took jobs for cheap. The investigators also listened to Hella's friend's suspicions, and the testimony from Dawn Thomas cast doubts on Kraft's story. They called Richard back for an interview. On December 11th, investigators Lieutenant Michael DeJoseph and Detective Robert Tvardzik conducted an interview with Richard Crafts. Richard, did you know your wife hired a private investigator? No. Did you know that the PI has documented your relationship with a New Jersey woman? No. Why would your wife tell her friends she was afraid for herself regarding serving you divorce papers and to tell them to check on her if something happens? I cannot imagine her saying this. It's completely out of character for her to say this. On November 18th, when Hella came home, when and why did she leave? Those answers are in my statement. So what's the story with the bedroom rug? Apparently you removed it, or cut some pieces out of it. Can you explain this to me? All the rugs in the house are being removed and replaced. What was spilled on the rug in your bedroom? Kerosene. Did you cut pieces out of the rug? Yes. Two feet at a time. It's easier to remove it that way. What did you do with the rug? You took it out of the bedroom? Dumped bedroom rug in the Newtown landfill one week ago. It was blue in color. Why have you been telling everyone different things about Hella being missing? Like her mother being sick? I didn't want to say my wife was gone, and I didn't know where she was. Has Hella received any mail since she's been missing? No. She's got no letters since she left. She usually gets about two letters a week. Crafts had an answer for everything. He was calm and cooperative, yet guarded. His apathetic demeanor made the investigators suspect him even more. He seemed robotic and it was like he had rehearsed these answers beforehand. Something didn't sit right with them. When Keith Mayo, the private detective hired by Hella, learned that she was missing, he immediately suspected Richard. Mayo went above and beyond to try to prove his theory. He asked colleagues and friends what they had thought about his case, and they agreed that something didn't add up. They didn't understand why Richard had so many stories and why Hella was missing. The police didn't seem like they wanted Mayo's help, but Mayo wanted to solve this case, so he needed evidence to support his suspicions to present to the state police. 
Mayo decided that he wanted to try to find the pieces of the rug at the local dump. He believed the rug pieces would contain blood evidence. He spoke to the trash company who did the route that the crafts lived on. He found out that these rug pieces were at a landfill in Canterbury, Connecticut, almost two hours away. With some help, he found a portion of a rug that was identical to the rug in Richard Kraft's bedroom, and it had what looked to be human blood on it. The piece of rug was taken to the state police laboratory in Meriden, which was led by none other than the famous Dr. Henry Lee. You may know him from many true crime cases, but most notably from the O.J. Simpson case. Unfortunately, Dr. Lee did not find any blood on the carpet pieces. Even though the rug evidence didn't turn out how Mayo wanted it, he did bring attention to the case. The Danbury Times published the first story about the case where Newtown Police Chief Louis Marchese told reporters that it was a missing person case. But Keith Mayo spoke to the same reporter and told him that she did not disappear on her own accord. Pressure was building on the Newtown Police, and they received tons of criticism, so the state attorney's office wanted it to be handed over to the state police. The Western District Major Crimes Unit began to investigate the case further. They found some interesting purchases and phone records. On November 13th, Richard bought a large-capacity Westinghouse freezer at an appliance store in Danbury. In the same billing period, he rented some type of machinery at Darien Rentals for $900. On Christmas Day, 1986, a search warrant was executed. For days and weeks leading up to the warrant, the police put together an 11-page affidavit listing dozens of supporting facts to back up their theory of Richard's guilt. His ever-changing story as to where Hella was was one of the biggest reasons. On Christmas Day in 1986, police learned that Richard and his children were in Florida for the holidays. Dr. Lee agreed to be present and oversee the collection of evidence at the Kraft residence. When they entered, the house was in complete disarray. Furniture was thrown all over the place, dirty clothes lay everywhere, dirty dishes and kitchen utensils were in the sink and all over the countertops. Mattresses were on the floor in the living room, along with boxes of belongings. They took all of Richard's guns, because any one of them could have been used to kill Hella. The investigators and Dr. Lee were there for days. Dr. Lee performed a luminol test in different locations of the Crafts house, and the tests were positive for the presence of blood. In the evidence collected, there were towels that had type O positive blood on them, which was Hella's blood type. But with all of this evidence, they still had no answer for where Hella's body was. That $900 machine rental that I spoke about earlier, that was confirmed to be a wood chipper. On November 19th, Richard rented and picked up the Bush Bandit wood chipper from Darien Rentals. With this knowledge, investigators were starting to put pieces, literally, together on where Hella's body could be. The detectives from the Major Crime Squad found a man named Joseph Hine, who was a utility worker from Southbury, Connecticut. Joseph told a story of witnessing a wood chipper in a U-Haul parked on the side of the road in the middle of the night. He pointed out to the exact spot where he saw the U-Haul and the wood chipper on the shore of Lake Zor. Detectives found piles of wood chips on the banks of the river. Along the pieces of the shredded items found, the detectives found a few pieces of mail, and on one of the envelopes, the detectives found the name of Hella Crafts. Within an hour, a search team was there looking for more hard evidence. They found more mail with Hella's name on them. The blonde hair, bone fragments, fabrics, plastic items, wood chips, and some unidentified material. The detectives went back to the machine rental place where Crafts rented the wood chipper. They secured the paperwork from Richard's rentals, and it just so happens, the exact wood chipper was there in the rear parking lot. The detectives had it towed to the state police forensic lab where they could have it examined. The search at Lake Zor continued, and they had dive teams searching the waters near where the wood chipper and evidence had been found. The divers had found a chainsaw on the bottom of the river in the mud. The serial number had been filed off. Then they started finding hard evidence that Hella had been murdered. They found a piece of a human toe, a fragment of a finger, and part of a tooth. In total, they had found 2,660 strands of blonde hair, 
69 slivers of human bone, 5 droplets of human blood, 2 teeth, a piece of a human skull, 3 ounces of human tissue, a portion of a human finger, 1 fingernail, and 1 portion of a toenail. Helicrafts had been found. So Richard is kind of like slicker than shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why when they say we can't prove the fact that he was in, a C- in the CIA, I don't know, man. He's got that vibe where, yeah. like, he could have been doing some shady shit. Like, he, he fucking, he, he did a lie detector test. He passed it. And they're like, hmm. So they're like, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's put the screws to this guy. You know, let's see what we can get from him. And fucking they were trying to hammer him with fucking questions. He's just like, nope, yep, nope. I already said that. I already answered that question. Nope. Yep. You know. You're like fuck. We can't get can't get this guy to fucking. The turn. fucking he knows how to answer a lie detector. Cool, calm, and collective. Yep. Dumb the better in the info. Yep. Didn't want to say my wife was gone. Did not giving him any information. Yep. Cut, nope. it, cut it in two foot squares. Easier to take out. Go find it in the landfill. <laughs> Been there for like six months. Good luck. I don't know. There might be some you know, truth to this whole CIA thing to him because this guy was stone cold oh, in yeah. his uh, lie detector. Yeah. Uh, you could tell he knew what he was doing. You know what I mean? He had no... 100%. He didn't seem... Uh, was it phased? He wasn't phased. Was it nervous? He was like, yeah, yep, yep. Two inch squares. Yep, yep. That's what they had. Yep. Uh, and yeah. he knew how to how to fail a... Well, not fail. He knew how to pass. And that's a skill you have to learn. A lie detector, yeah. You, you have to be like... Zero emotion, zero like coming from one who yeah. coming from someone who failed the Connecticut State Police lie detector test. Yeah, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, <laughs> and that's a true story. Fans. What, what question did you fail on? Oh, it was it, whatever about my past and stuff <laughs> like that. But it's it's crazy. It's super intimidating because yeah. they bring you in this room and this uh, it's a, they're like detectives. Yeah. And they, it's like super somber, and then they try to like scare you, and mm. they they'll ask you the craziest questions ever, like yeah. just to fuck with you. And you're like, "Did you ever touch little boys?" Yeah, like, have, do you yeah. find little boys attractive? And you're like, "What? No." And then they'll like, even though you know it's no, they'll be like, they'll look at the the test and be like, "Hmm," and then you'll be like, "Wait, what the fuck? No, what?" Yeah. Like yeah. they just they try to get in your head, right? That now the Connecticut State Police is a really hard to get into, so. And, um, no, I, I, I lost on, like, the, you know, have you ever been a hooligan questions? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, do you find your sister attractive? That was one of them. Really? I was like, no. They're like, whoa. Liar. And I'm like, wait, Lies. what? Lies. And, and then you, in your head, you're like, do yeah. I find my sister attractive? Like, what, <laughs> it's you're like, like, it's you're like, like fuck. Yeah. You, is, you, is she hot or yeah, not? Yeah, they, they start, they really <laughs> fuck with your brain. But that's what they want to do. That's right. why they do that. It's, yeah. It's, so, lie detectors are, are, you have to be a stone cold. Tell, to deceive a lie detector, because okay. if your heart rate's not up, then mm-hmm. you're a different breed. So basically, I, the way I look at this is that at this point, being questioned by the police and everything, he thinks that he's committed the perfect murder. Yeah, he he thinks he's he's got it in the bag. Yeah, which he almost did. Up to this point, he does. Yeah, right. Which brings up the question: What is the perfect murder? Like, how would you commit the perfect murder? I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Oh, you, actually, no, never mind. We'll, we'll we'll talk about this in Random AF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's going to be on Random AF. 100%. 100%. 100%. Would you, how would yeah, you... I want to know... I want to know your... How you would commit a murder and how would you get away with it? Oh, I already got it. Uh, that's, I know you already got it. Trust yeah. me. I've thought about this for a very <laughs> long time. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm not joking, guys. When I tell you, if there starts to become, there's there's missing people in Connecticut, we already know where to look, guys. All right? Oh, we already know where to go. I'm not joking about this. Yeah. I got to keep that mystique, you know what I mean? <laughs> so. And then, and then we bring in Keith Mayo. Yeah. Who is basically like a, uh, the way I think of Keith Mayo, I think is like his office is like a diner and like he like invites yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like you call him up, you he call his number. One, he has the booth in the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you call him up, right? And like you call his number and then like, he's like, Mel's diner. He's like, Mimi and Mel's in five minutes. And then you hear the, the payphone clang. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like he's just like some shabby private yeah. detective. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he did. You know, he he, he tracks stuff he down. Yeah. She went all the way to Canterbury, so I'll right. give him credit. But it, like, it's just so funny to hear private investigator because I always think of like. Like a sleazy used car salesman esque. Yeah, yeah. Meet me at Mel's in five. Yeah. Cha -ching. Cha -ching. <laughs> He's got like stick sauce stain on his fucking yeah, dress yeah, shirt. Yeah. Uh, over like one of those oversized suits. Yeah. That, like <laughs> that doesn't fit him right from like a hand down. Yeah. We're gonna get to the bottom of this, man. I, I promise. I you. promise you. But he did work his ass off, which is yeah. pretty impressive. So you, you, uh, the, the funny thing is that you, you brought up Canterbury. Like Canterbury is. That's very close to home. That's next door to the town that I grew up in. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you could you go straight up this road. Oh, yeah, it's Canterbury. And yeah, you're yeah, in Canterbury. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? It's right in our backyard. We used to, where they're talking about the landfill in Canterbury, there's a river called the Quinnebog River. We used to raft. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's where you go tubing. That's where you go tubing. Listen, well, that's when the and it's the, the most disgusting yeah. fucking that, water you'll ever... In, in the famous, famous words of Dave Chappelle, <laughs> when the Tiki Torch Whites want to go and hang out... <laughs> They, yeah. they go tubing down the Quinnipaug River in Connecticut. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, fucking kayaking. You got a cut. You got your tube. You got your kayak. You got fucking whatever. Oh, going down man. the Quinnipaug, you go through all the fucking we, we sewage. Were, we were joking when we said we live in the redneck right. part of Connecticut. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we kayak in fucking rivers filled with fucking sewage <laughs> and slime, and behind a fucking trash landfill, where apparently hella. Hella's <laughs> body was hanging out. Hella's <laughs> blood-stained carpet was yeah. was hanging out. Yeah, uh, nine hundred dollars for a uh, piece of machinery, a, a wood chipper in nineteen eighty-six. That seems high. Well, I feel like I could I could rent a wood chipper well, for cheaper. Well, today. At, th at this time they didn't know that it was a wood chipper. It was just a piece of machinery. But I mean, obviously he spent nine hundred bucks. Right. So I feel like I could get a wood chipper for less now. Now in today's yeah. Well, look, diamond dead, diamond dozen. Oh, oh, we just make more wood chippers now? Wood chipper. I, okay, all right, all right. You know more than me. I don't know. Well, I mean, you, you look at a VCR, like back in 1986, a, uh, a VCR I, okay, I see where you're going was now. like 500 yeah. bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first, like, yeah. game game systems were like $1,000 yeah. or some crazy okay, shit really? like that. Yeah, oh, you want you, you to be rich to have a computer. Yeah. The first, like, Apple computers that came out, You want a crazy. DVD player? Bro, that's like 2500 <laughs> Woo! <laughs> now you can't even find them. I know. They're in landfills. Obsolete. They're in landfills. With the with the they're in landfills with the blood soaked uh, carpet. Yep. So, the I, the thing that's that's like just blows my mind here is that he's in, in probably probably what would be today a multi million dollar house. Oh, for sure. And he's got his fucking redneck shit all out in the yard, lawn ornaments. Yep. You know, house in disarray, just mattresses on the floor, sink and cabinets like yeah. just fucking disgusting. Bowls, dirty dishes. Yeah. Well, well, when you lose your wife. Oh, <laughs> wait! You know what I mean? The house just goes a mess. In 1986, yes, yes, I, yes. In '86, yes. yeah, I see what you're saying. God, yeah. there was no stay-at-home dads in yeah. 1986. No, Come on. no, I got, I got that's you. That's all part of the time period. I got you. That was Garrett. That was Garrett. That was <laughs> no, like, no, don't blame that on me. I got right? you, it's Garrett. Just, I'm just stating facts, okay? <laughs> I'm an advocate for the. How did know, they eat? Those kids were miserable after their mom passed away. After their mind went missing. Like, Dad, can we get... Can we not eat McDonald's tonight for fucking Christ? <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to hell. <laughs> that is hilarious, though. You know who probably didn't have a filthy house? Was this guy, Joseph Hine. Who's, yeah. He was, he was a utility worker. And he's, he's the one... <laughs> nice little transition. He's, uh, uh. he's the one that basically said that he witnessed... Uh, Richard, in the middle of the night, uh, parked on the side of the road in a U-Haul with a wood chipper attached, and all the shreddings are, are dumping into the lake. Uh, shout out to all forensic divers. That job, I'm always impressed. Like, I mean, to recap on the story, 2,660 strands of blonde hair, 69 slivers of human bones, five droplets of human blood, two teeth, a piece of a human skull, three ounces of human tissue, a portion of a human finger, and one fingernail. The fact that divers can just go in that murky, you know, because they yeah. never get dumped in in, in crystal, in crystal clear. clear water. Those right. guys are sifting through milky, right. disgusting, murky, slimy, slimy rivers and, mm -hmm. and, and underneath freeways and shit like that. Yeah. 
that job must suck, to be honest with you. Oh, 100%. And I, it's amazing at what forensic divers can find when, yeah. they, when they do those dives. Because, I mean, right there, I mean, without the dive team, you don't have a, a body. So, it, I mean, and that's why, and I, it's, yeah. a, it's one of the most impressive jobs that I find. Like, Yeah. And that's why I said, like, in the, in the beginning of the story, it's like, this is, like, probably one of the first forensic cases where everything was determined by a microscope, yeah. by DNA. Where, well, DNA probably was in its infancy now, but it was like... You no, know, they had human chunks. Yeah. They had, like, fragments of bone. They had a, a broken tooth, you know, three, it says uh, three ounces of human tissue. Like, what is that? You know what I mean? You have an entire body... And it's and it it comes down to three ounces. It makes of, you realize how human tissue. How crazy a wood chipper is if I dump it a bot like. Yeah. What a way to go out. But luckily, she was found. So now the state of Connecticut can proceed with finding their killer in Chapter Four. Criminal AF will be back after this quick break. What's good, everybody? Nothing says I am one of the debauched like Criminal AF apparel and merchandise. Choose from multiple designs that fit your style and your attitude. For women, for men, around the home, or at the office. You can look great repping Criminal AF wherever you go and help support the podcast as well by visiting criminalafpodcast.com backslash shop or click on the link in the episode description. Go get you some merch. Yes, sir. On January 11th, an arrest warrant was issued in Newtown Court for Richard Crafts. At 9 p.m., several state troopers surrounded Crafts' home and called him on the phone. They demanded he come out and surrender. Crafts replied that he was tired and that he'd take care of it in the morning. Police insisted that he surrender. Finally, after hours of negotiating, Richard Crafts emerged from his home around 12.30 a.m. and surrendered. The trial was moved to New London, Connecticut due to the amount of publicity on the case. The media in Newtown had sensationalized the story, making it hard to find impartial jurors. Dr. Lee testified about the collection and analysis of thousands of pieces of evidence found in and around Lake Zor. Even though all of the pieces of evidence were small, Dr. Lee was able to determine that the pieces were cut with a heavy type cutting edge that produced a crushing and cutting force. All of the bone, human tissue, and hair were all mixed together with wood chips and vegetative debris. And most importantly, they were all cut with the same machine. The chainsaw found at the bottom of Lake Zora was one of the pieces of evidence that were the most damning. Forensic scientists were able to find remnants of human tissue, blonde hair, and a number of blue fibers in the teeth of the blade. The blue fibers matched the fibers in the blue rug in the craft's bedroom. Scientists were able to restore the serial number that had been scratched off and trace it back to Richard Crafts. The tooth fragment was what sealed Richard Crafts' fate. The analysis proved conclusively that Hella Crafts' remains were found at Lake Zor. One tiny fragment of tooth with a piece of jawbone still attached was the most major piece of evidence found in the case. The pathologist testified that the tooth was removed from the mouth with traumatic force that sheared it off and took the bone with it. There was a metal crown attached. The crown was painstakingly compared to Hella's dental records. And there was a medical absolute certainty that the crown belonged to Hella Carafts. On June 23rd, the jury took the case and started to go over evidence and testimony for two weeks to reach a verdict. One juror held out for a not guilty verdict. The others were frustrated with him, saying it was like dealing with a child, and this resulted in a mistrial being declared. On September 7th, 1989, a second trial opened. The trial was pretty much a copy of the first. The same witnesses, the same evidence, everything the same. When the case finally went to the jury on November 20th, they only took eight hours to determine a guilty verdict. Graf showed no emotion when the verdict was announced on November 21st, 1989, almost three years to the day when Hella was murdered. Richard Crafts received 99 years in state prison. This all goes to show things always come out in the open, and the truth is always found. Little tiny fragments of a human body were found in and around a large body of water 
Nothing is ever as secret as you suspect. Nothing is ever hidden or made to disappear. The truth will always be found. Even a wood chipper cannot hide your crime. But people still try. And we still have stories to tell for podcasts and movies such as Fargo. So the, the gall of this guy, the police show up to his house and he, they're like, come outside now, blah, 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 you know, you're under arrest and everything. But the fucker says, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't feel like coming out right now. Come, come, come back later. Yeah. Yeah. So this went on for like from 9 p.m. to 1230 a.m. And he was just like, like getting pissed. He's like, bro. Fucking nighttime. I'm fucking sleeping. Yeah, come back in the morning and fucking arrest me if you want to. Alright, let's let us let us talk about this chainsaw that was found in, in, in the lake. For sure. So it's been sitting there for a minute, right? Probably the most I mean, obviously he chopped the body up first to get it in the chip the chipper. Right. So he chainsawed the body, yep. then chipped it in the wood chipper, and gave zero fucks while he did it. Nah. You gotta be a special kind yeah. of crazy. You gotta be a special kind of fucking douchebag. <laughs> yep. oh, that right noise through. is probably you have, like bogs down when it hits a bone. <laughs> yeah. You just gotta push through it. Ugh. I've cut a lot of trees in my day. Yeah. So this chainsaw. I don't know if I could cut a dead body. Nah. This is, so yeah. So this chainsaw has been sitting in the water for a minute, and it's still got like human skin and tissue and whatnot. It would be so hard to get away with a murder nowadays. Oh, now? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. With, like, the fact that they were able to get all this evidence off of chainsaws that have been sitting in the bottom of the fucking... They got all this evidence because one guy said he saw some random guy with a fucking wood chipper by the lake. Yeah. That's all it took. That's all it took. Yeah. You know? And then they went there and they found minuscule pieces of stuff. That would mean... Clearly, human fr- human stuff. Stuff. The trial moving to New London, Connecticut, is actually fascinating to me because it's like it got too it got too much publicity. But like, new, I mean, I I went to New London Courthouse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if you've ever have been in there. I I, I know where it is. Yeah, I had to go in for I did jury duty there. Yeah, what? me too. <laughs> no way. Yes. <laughs> 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 Hashtag jury duty. Hashtag jury duty. <laughs> That's a good one. What, what's your uh, what's your way to get out of jury duty? Uh, plead guilty and pay a fine. No, get out of jury duty. Oh, we're actually talking about actual jury yes, duty. Yes, have you? I literally I had oh. to go to jury duty. Oh, okay, I thought we we're using jury duty as like a no, 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 like another no, term. No, 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 no. I never. I've oh. always. I went to Norwich Court for that. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Norwich for that one. So every single time of that that I've had jury duty, I've always got the call the night before. Don't attend. Yeah. Or or you, you call in the number. Yeah. And they tell you. I, I made it pretty far. Yeah. I got to like the third. You know, how like the first time they call you, mm. you go in, you sign the paperwork, they do mm. a little interview. I got past that, then they called mm. me back, mm-hmm. and then they got to the third stage where like they were picking the final jurors. So I almost got picked, and I was literally like, how, I don't know what to do. Like I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't want to do this. For those of you, <laughs> for those that don't know what Connecticut is like, so New London, even though it's considered a city, it's a it's it's a metropolis, I guess you could say. I would say it's a city. It's a city. It's it's still on the east the eastern part of Connecticut. Yes, for sure. So, uh, New London as a city is still looked down on as by, by the other cities oh, of yeah, Connecticut. Oh, for sure. You know what even, I mean? Even us that live in Norwich yeah. look, oh, look down at oh, And that's oh, saying bougie, something. Yeah. And that's saying something. That yeah, we yeah, look yeah. down at New London like, New mm. London. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some beautiful spots of New London. That's Because oh, yeah. there's Ocean Ave and Chetucket and all yeah. Like, there's roads that will span the beach coastline. They're beautiful. Yeah. And then, mo- but most of New London is just, like, multi-story, multi-family homes that have been turned into shitty apartments and then mm. just scattered all over the place. It's, shout yeah. out to New, New London. Yeah. You know, there's some good food spots out there. Good food spots, good bars. Fun time down there. Um, it wasn't until Dr. Lee's description of what a wood chipper does to a body. It, like, it put in perspective how, like, how brutal it is to throw yeah. a body in there, too. 
cut with a heavy type cutting edge that produces crushing and cutting force. Because oh. in my mind, you throw a wood chipper, it, it just like, yeah. You don't realize that what until it actually it crushes and yeah. cuts. It doesn't. Do, it's almost like one of those like. You know, I, I mean, I, I guarantee you, most of our fans have seen those crushing videos where they throw the things in the. Oh, the the. You know, like it's the, got teeth in yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah. They, they it put down like and it crushes they it. put like dumbass fucking eyes on it. Yeah. To like make it look all friendly and stuff right, like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you you don't think so? There the noise. Imagine the noise and the the sound. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This guy's a savage, dude. Yeah. And it's his wife. Mm-hmm. He had to have some love for her at some point. Right. Oh man! Yeah, because you, you you think of like some things like when you hear oh you know pieces went through a wood chipper and like all you're thinking is just like oh yeah I've seen a wood chipper before whatever yeah you know no. No. that's what no. I think of. But then when you actually think of like put it into context, it's like this is like a human arm yeah. going through a wood chipper. This is a leg going through it's a wood making chipper. Making like a like a jello noise. Yeah, like, like it's not like a solid like it's like a you know oh. you know it's like. <laughs> Like, oh, oh. Yeah. make that noise again. <laughs> okay, good. All right, I can do ASMR. <laughs> Body sounds going through wood chippers. <laughs> I mean, you would be the first of uh, that category the first. for sure. I would be the first of the first. So basically, what it all came down to is a piece of a tooth. You know, the police they they found you know obviously where the where the wood chipper was. They they found pieces and human flesh and blonde hair and all sorts. And now, mind you, this is 1986, so DNA wasn't, you know, prevalent like it like it is now. So even though you find hair samples or blood samples, you know, you don't know exactly who it is. Like it could be. It's a here's a possibility. It is this person. Can it be proven? No. But dental records was the DNA of that time. Yeah. So I, I find it amazing that they can take a fragment of a tooth that still had their uh, crown attached and say, yes, this is her. You know what I mean? That, that's just like mind boggling. I mean, they do it with like mummies that they found. You know what I mean? Yeah. So who's the, who's the, who's the fucker that uh, held out in the first trial? I don't know. Like who would you do? What would you do? Would you be just be that one guy? You're I like, pr- no, nope, listen, I don't, no, I'm not, I don't want to say I would be, but I feel like my personality, I would be, yeah. be like, I don't know guys. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I need to see more. I'm not ready to go back to work yet. Yeah. So I'm going to ride this out as long as I can. Yeah, they're paying me right. to be here. <laughs> it, it is nice to know that the jury was finally able to come to a conclusion with this guy. Right. And yeah. sentence him for the murder of his wife. Yeah. Because I, I, I hate to break it to everybody, but it happened. 99 years in state prison. 99 years. Yep. Um, I wonder what happened. Oh, the best part about this story. Do you have what do you have, Garrett? Tell me. Is that he only served fifty years of the ninety nine of the ninety, okay. right? Yeah. He got out in June of twenty twenty after serving only fifty years for good behavior, jailhouse mm. jobs, and a slew of other like things he did yeah. while he was in there. So he was a model wow. inmate. Model inmate. So right now, mm. Richard Crafts is out hanging out in a halfway house. Still alive. Yep. Kicking. And and he's li- he so he got released to a halfway house mm. in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and now he lives in a homeless shelter for veterans. So he's he's still he made it out. Okay, you murder your wife, chop her up with a chainsaw, and throw her pieces through it. As long as her. you are the number one producer of license plates, it's, you're it, gonna get it that. Go, it goes far. Yeah, yeah it, it, it goes it goes, it goes it a lot. Go it goes pretty far. Yes, very good work ethic. Jesus yep. Christ. So he is out right now, alive and kicking in a homeless uh, shelter in Connecticut somewhere. Uh, Do you think right. he's going to change his name too? <laughs> to like Rolla Prater? <laughs> Richard Raffs. Richard Raffs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what else too? Like Richard. just to go, just for a thought, I think about those kids that all swim at, at Lake Zora. They probably oh, still all swim there. Oh yeah. After you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're we're weird. Yeah. We're, we're like human beings are weird. Could be another Jason Voorhees Crystal yeah. Lake. It's Lake Zora. Lake Zora. <laughs> all right, so that'll do it for this episode of Body Chipper. Uh, before we go, if you like what you heard, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a review. And don't forget. To become one of the debauched on Patreon. 
You can choose from any of the five tiers, and you can donate as little as $2 a month to help the podcast. For those of you who choose the $5 tier or higher, get everything, including scripts of every story, five-minute murder, our Patreon-only bi-weekly podcast, Random AF, and our soon-to-be-released Patreon-only Dreadful AF, our collab with our friends at Spread the Dread Podcast. Just visit criminalafpodcast.com backslash support or click the link in episode description. Link to our socials, merchandise, and more are in episode description. Or visit criminalafpodcast.com for all of your criminal AF needs. Signing off from Studio Chloroform. Keep your head on a swivel and take care till next time. Now, now give me our theme music. See ya. Executive producers for this episode are Christine Rivera, Beth Davis, and Dusty J. Hicks. Associate producers are Paul Hodge, Noah Schultz, Brooke Morgan, Bethany Cooper, and Terry Burke Wolin. Producers are Stephen Day, Trent Gobble, J.D. Driscoll, Devin Dean, Chantal Seislick, Jan O'Donnell, Jessica Lloyd, Lisa Perello, Jenny Crawford, Alicia Knight, Laura Shin, Maria Celine, and Beth Esselman. <laughs>